turn with me to Acts chapter 5 this morning, where we find ourselves is in a spot where the disciples have been uh, thrown in jail. Just last week we looked at them and they had uh, continued to preach in the name of Jesus. And then because they preached in the name of Jesus and the religious leaders of that day didn't like it, they said, you know what? We told you not to preach in this name, so we're going to send you to jail overnight. A little shock treatment, I guess. And then the next day they were going to pull them out of jail and talk with them concerning the things that they'd been preaching and ask them to stop once again. They're really just trying to scare them into stopping doing what they're doing. And so as they've scared, tried to scare them, what, what they meant to scare them ended up actually kind of confirming them and emboldening them because when they were sent to jail, God sent an angel to release them from jail that night. And as they were released, the angel said, go to the temple and continue to do what you're doing. Go back to teaching the gospel. Go back and tell people about Jesus. I don't care what those people said, keep going. And you can imagine this would be a very encouraging thing because sometimes we look for ways to be encouraged. Lord, are you sure that this is the thing I'm supposed to be doing because it seems to keep going badly for me every time I'm obedient to you? And the Lord confirms once again, hey, I got your back. And while he doesn't always release those that get in trouble for doing what they're called to do, in this case he does, they go back to the temple and then the religious leaders, because of it, they are accountable to seeing that God has released them. It's miraculous because when they go to the, the prison to go find the apostles that were supposed to be in jail, they find out that not only is the gate locked on the prison, but the guards are still standing there guarding the prison. And so they get to that spot and they're just like, well, where are they? Well, they're back in the temple doing what you told them not to do. So you can imagine just the, the aggravation level is just increasing and they're just like, what do we do about these guys? How's this going to end up? They keep getting loose and the church continues to grow. So we've seen this opposition, but why are these men, why are these Sadducees so opposed to the preaching that's happening in the name of Jesus? Why are they so aggravated? Well, think about it for a minute. These Sadducees, these religious leaders, their entire lives, they have spent learning the law, the law of God, the Ten Commandments that they had been expounded to, 613 commandments. Do these things and you will be righteous before God. And they've spent all their time doing those things that were in the commandments. They had to make sacrifices in order to atone for their sins and become righteous before a holy God. So along comes these men, these apostles, these people that have been with this rebel Jesus, and they start teaching the crowds, you know what? You don't have to do the works of the law anymore. You can be saved by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ not only covering your sins, which is what they did in the Old Testament, they put the blood over the top of the altar, covering what was inside their, their sins, the things they had done wrong. No longer do you have to do those works, but now God has provided through Jesus a payment for your sin that goes beyond just covering them. It not only covers them, but it cleanses you. It makes you completely righteous in the sight of God. God looks down upon us, and no longer are, does he see us, but he sees Jesus' blood over us. He sees his son in whom he is well pleased. 
So these men that have spent their whole lives being religious, trying to be righteous before God, trying by their works to earn heaven, all of a sudden, all the work that they've done, if this message about Jesus is true, is no longer needed. Everything they've made their life about, making sacrifice, being in the temple, washing their hands a certain way to be clean on the outside is no longer necessary. So they're aggravated. If Jesus is the payment for my sin, then everything else I've spent my life doing is a big waste of time. It wasn't a waste of time because all those sacrifices, all those rituals, all those things that they did in the temple were to point to Jesus. They weren't supposed to be a payment instead of Jesus. They were sacrifices to point out, hey, getting righteous before God, if we do it on our own, it's not only difficult and hard work, but it's impossible because we have to be in the temple all the time making sacrifice. So Jesus, when he came along and his payment for us, freed us up from the law. We no longer have to spend all our time sacrificing, but now we get to, because of Jesus already doing it for us, we get to serve out of just because we get to. We're freed up. And so turn with me to Romans chapter 3 and hold Acts chapter 5 there. I might be able to do that. Romans chapter 3 verse 20. See, what they thought is that by the law, by knowing the law and keeping the law, they could be saved. But Romans chapter 3, verse 20, was written by Paul, who was a Pharisee. And he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the most religious guy you probably ever would have met. He knew the scriptures inside and out. He knew the law. He kept it to every point. But he said, when I tried to keep the law and I thought I kept them all, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't steal any stuff. But what I found is that when I got to number 10 of the Ten Commandments, I couldn't keep that one because I had covetousness in my heart. I coveted other people's things. I wanted more than what God had provided for me. And so in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, he writes, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. For the law, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, the law was never meant to cleanse us. It was never meant to make us holy or righteous. What the law was meant to do was to show us that we had sin and we needed a Savior. Imagine if, uh, in, in uh, the book of James, uh, James talks about the law as being a mirror. And it's a mirror that we're supposed to look into in order to see if we have any flaws. That's what mirrors are for, right? We get up in the morning, we, we, go, we like to look at ourselves, we see ourselves in the mirror. And because we see the flaws that we see, we get to work, right? We look in that thing and go, man, there's food on my teeth. And I've got, you know, I need to do something with this, this mop that I just slept and made all crazy. And I need to shave. And so we look in that mirror, but we don't just walk away and go, okay, I'm good now. We look in that mirror and we use it as a tool to reveal what needs done. When we look into the law of God, the first 10 commandments, it shouldn't cause us to go, oh, look at that, I did it. It should cause us to go, oh my gosh, man, I really jacked up this week. I need to do something else. What do I need to change? Lord, help me to live this out because I'm not there. And so that's what the point is. Verse 21 of Romans 3 says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness, not of man, but the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's encouraging, isn't it? All have sinned. So the reason, if I look at the Ten Commandments and I look at them, I say, well, I've really failed this week. Hey, take heart, we all did. Some of us just actually realize it. Some of us are actually willing to admit it. Some are not. They're in a hard spot. So, for there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a payment. It says in my Bible, propitiation, but it just means payment by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So it's the work that He is able to do. We try to do it on our own and we can't earn it. Actually, if you turn one page over, or depending on how big your print is, to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it actually says there, the wages, what we can earn for our works, the wages of sin is death. That's all you and I can earn on our own without Jesus. Our wages, our rebellion, what we earn by our own, our own conduct, our works, can only be sin, and that, that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't have to earn it. God already provided it. He wants to give it to us free. So let me ask you, why do we as Christians always want to go back to the law? Why do we always want to prove that we earned heaven? Why do we preach the gospel of works rather than saying, hey, here's Jesus and he paid for my sins and he paid for yours if you're willing to accept that, if you're willing to receive it. But we get to this spot where we go, man, that guy over there, he doesn't go to church nearly as much as me. Or man, that guy over there or that gal, she doesn't read her Bible. How can she call herself a Christian? And it's not about that. Now, at the same time, should we go to church? Should we fellowship with other Christians? Absolutely. The body of Christ can't be by itself. We got to be together, joined and knit together. Every part has a work in that. But then, should we be reading our Bible? Yeah, we need to abide in Christ. We need to soak in the truths that He has for us so that we can live. So, my point is, is that these, uh, these Sadducees, these law followers, these religious people that are, are, are aggravated about what these apostles are preaching, they're only aggravated because they've spent their whole life trying to work towards heaven and these guys are preaching, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to earn it. Jesus did it, so all you got to do is receive it. Now, they thought pretty highly of themselves because they had for so long been looked up to by the common man. Wow, look at those guys. They're praying on the street corners. Wow, they're giving alms. Wow, they're praying louder so everybody can hear them. They must be really holy. And that was never the point. So, Peter steps up and he looks at the Sadducees. And last week as we looked at it, he had explained to them, look, This Jesus, whom you guys are denying, God raised him up. You killed him, but God raised him up to bring repentance to Israel, to bring repentance to those that were crusty and religious and had long since left their God. No doubt they were following precepts of the law, but they were not. They were not following their God. They didn't know him. They weren't daily spending time with him. They were just working and trying to earn it on their own. 
So Peter tells them, hey, Jesus died to bring repentance to Israel, to turn them back to God. But this group of Sadducees and these leaders, they thought they were following God by doing the law. They didn't know, though, that they had long since left him and started serving their God, the law. They were worshiping the law. They were worshiping what they had to offer God. And they proclaimed to be men of God. And what Peter had to say was, you're not men of God. You missed out on his salvation he's providing. You're not in line with his plan. And so therefore, because you're not with God, you're against him. And the problem with that is that if you tell someone that's very religious and is very staunch in how they follow God, that they're kind of missing the mark, whether you tell it to them nicely or not, they get a little upset. To tell someone that's spending all their time thinking that they're righteous because they've earned it, (laughs) they don't respond uh, nicely. So we see their response in Acts chapter 5, verse 33. It says, When they heard this, they were furious, and they plotted to kill the apostles. They were upset. They were furious. Have you guys ever been enraged by something that's taken place? Somebody ever said something to you and it made you so angry, you just you could feel the blood vessels popping in your face and just getting red. All of a sudden the heat rises like one of those thermometers right before it busts in the cartoons. You know, somebody says something, it just gets under your skin so bad that you just want to just want to hit a wall. I I don't know about you guys, but I get there sometimes. People say things, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Did you just say that to me? You know? This week, somebody said something very lewd to me, and no doubt it was wrong for them to say it, but they were just producing what was out of the abundance of their heart. They don't know the Lord, but I just got so, how can you say that to me? You know, and that's where these guys are. They, you know, hey, you guys aren't righteous. You don't know God. You're not responding to his grace. You, you've denied Jesus, and therefore you're not going to heaven. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that to me. I can't believe you would have the audacity to say to me that I'm not right before God and that you are. And that's what people think when we tell them, hey, we've got salvation in Jesus. We're going to heaven. How do you know? I just know. I read his word. That's what he, he offered me. Yeah, but you do this, this, and this. Okay, but I'm a work in progress. It's not about what I do. It's about what he did. And he's desiring to wash me and cleanse me from that lifestyle, but I'm saved. I know that. And the funny thing is, is when you tell someone that's religious that they're doing it wrong, when you tell somebody that's not religious or somebody that's doing anything, you tell them they're doing it wrong, they get a little upset. But then there's this other guy that stands up among them. These, I just imagine these guys as a bunch of guys my age, a bunch of young guys that think they know everything. And there's this older gentleman that stands up in verse 34. And it says, Then one in the council, one amongst them, In the council, he stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and he commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. See, he had heard their planning, their plotting. He said, be careful, you know, be careful about what you do about these guys. For some time ago, verse 36 Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400 actually, joined him, and he was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered, and they came to nothing. Then verse 37, And after this, after this man, Judas of Galilee, 
not the Judas we know that just has taken his own life after betraying Jesus. You, you wouldn't believe this, but Judas used to be a common name. It's kind of a, another version of the word Judah. Judah, in the Old Testament, that word means praise. And so to name your son Judas was to name him like praise. But you can imagine that people kind of shied away from naming people Judas after Judas betrayed the Son of God. You know, it's not as common anymore, but back then it was. Uh, same with Jesus. His name was actually very common as well. It was, it was Joshua, Yeshua. Our God is salvation. And so that was a name that pointed forward to the Messiah. So after this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. So he's saying, pay attention to this movement, because if it's of man, it's not going to last if that guy gets killed or dies. But if it's a movement of God, it's going to continue. He continues there in verse 38. He says, now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it lest you even be found to fight against God. Now this is good wisdom, right? Careful how you respond to those who are against you. Because number one, they could be wrong. And if they're wrong, then it won't matter anyway. And if they're right, then you probably need to get in line with them. But wait and see how it plays out. His advice to them is be neutral concerning this group. Because if you're neutral, then you won't be badder in either direction. And that's good advice. We need to make sure that we, are, we pay attention to how we react to naysayers. We need to pay attention to how we react to those that don't agree with us. Because sometimes you might found, find out that they were right. And then you'll be found in sin because you rejected somebody that God sent to change you. But the other side is, is if you respond and they were wrong, then you're found to be the blame. You should have just let it play out. But this, while this is good advice, most of the time, in the Christian life, his advice is horrible. Gamaliel was a, uh, a, a Pharisee. You know, I, I had to ask myself the question, who is Gamaliel? I don't know who he is. They use his name as if it's just a common guy that we should know. He's a Pharisee. He's a well-known teacher of the law. Actually, Paul the Apostle had been taught by Gamaliel before he became a Christian. He had been trained up in the ways of the Pharisees by Gamaliel. So he was a well-known guy. He held a reputation for being one of the greatest teachers in all the history of Judaism. So this is a, a man that was highly respected. It was actually said of him after his death that since Rabban Gamaliel, the elder, died, there's been no more reverence for the law and purity and piety died out when he died. In other words, a movement of purity amongst those who follow the law died out as soon as Gamaliel died because basically, you know, he invested in a lot of people. He had lots of influence. He was one of the most respected Jewish teachers of that day. And when he spoke, people were very likely to respond and, and accept what he taught. And so for him to stand up and say this, it held quite the authority with this group of the council. He warns them, don't be too hasty concerning these men, verse 35. And then verse 36 and 37, he gives examples. And that's, that's wisdom. Many times God gives us people that are older than us or even more mature than us that aren't older than us. 
But he gives us people that will give us wisdom. Many times we in the middle of situations, like these, uh, these Sadducees and this council here, we get a little heated, we get a little upset. So we watch our situation, we respond, we react right away. We don't take into consideration what's happened in the past. We don't take into consideration the consequences. We just react really quickly. And the problem with that is it's short-sighted. And so God will give us people that have wisdom from the past. And he's done that in Gamaliel. So while his wisdom was good, it was tempered, it was the way they should respond, I have a problem with, his, um, with the way he deals with those, this though because we can't be neutral on things and expect them to go well. His idea was that if something's of God, then it will prosper. But if something's not of God, then it will die out. The only problem I have with that is uh, what do we do with things like genocide in countries in Africa? That's prospering, if you ask me. It, it's not really the idea that we get of prospering, but it, it continues is the idea. How do you explain the exponential growth of the religion of Islam? It's actually growing faster than any religion in the world right now. It's militant. It's evil. They're killing people, and they're getting more converts than anybody I know. How then do you explain exploitation of young women and men in sex trafficking all over the world? So just because something is growing or is going well, relatively speaking, does not mean that God is the one that's behind it. That's his idea. You know, his idea is kind of neutrality, kind of like Switzerland. We're not really going to say we're for it or against it. We're going to remain neutral. But in the Christian life, we have to take stands on things. We have to take stands on what we're going to allow into our house by the television. We have to take stands on what kind of movies we're going to go see. Not because we have to, but because of the, the fruit that will play out by those things sown into our lives and into our families. We have to make sure that we're being careful to weed out anything that could cause there to be a, a, a growth of the amount of sin in our lives. So we can't be neutral concerning the things of this world. We have to take a stance. Now some of them, we're going to have to you know, give grace because other people won't be where we are. But the idea is we can't be neutral. We have to make sure that we're being diligent to pray about things and say, Lord, is this something that I should be involved in or not? These, um, these Pharisees or these, uh, these religious leaders, had they responded by taking heed and listening and considering that maybe these men were right, could have been blessed. They could have been in the spot where they would meet Jesus for the first time. But I think it's interesting that oftentimes what we would rather do concerning things is rather than calling them sin, we would rather be neutral. But I want to point out in Matthew chapter 7, <coughs> what Jesus said concerning this life. He said, uh, Matthew chapter 7 verse 13, He said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So broad, easy is the way that leads to destruction. 
You can, what the enemy wants to tell us is, hey, you can relax. Just float through this life like it's a lazy river. No troubles, no direction. Don't have to take any stances. Just drift and you'll reach the end. My question for you is if you drift through this life, where will your end be? Well, who knows? Perhaps a waterfall over a cliff. You ever think about that? Oftentimes we get in a river and we just we call them float trips, right? I love float trips because you get to just hang out, you just get a sunburn, you get to go fishing while you're going. It's like the best thing you can do, especially around our area, right? But you get out on a float trip and say you don't know the river. And you're like, you know what? It's a float trip. Why are we taking all these oars? Just leave those back at the bank. We'll get there when we get there. So you do that. And you get along this river, and it's not a river you know. You don't know where it's going. You don't know if it feeds into a delta like the ocean or if it goes off a cliff. You're just like, let's just see how it ends. Well, let's see how it plays out. And people do that with things. I'm not going to tell my kids they shouldn't watch this because they're a good kid. They'll make good decisions. They don't need any direction. Just let them have it. You know, life's, you know, life's a ball. Just go see what life is what you make of it kind of idea. But the problem is, is if we drift on that float trip and we're on the Niagara and we get to the end, we're in a barrel and we're done. There's no getting to the side because you don't have any way to change your direction. You don't have any way to steer. But on the other hand, you have to be intentional and make decisions. You have to be okay with sometimes you got to make a decision. Sometimes you got to be intentional because there is only one entrance into life through Jesus. And to enter that way takes a conscious decision, not just at salvation, but every day. We're tempted with things that do matter. Now, do they all matter as much as sometimes we make them matter? As an engineer that overanalyzes everything? No, they don't all, all matter that much. Am I going to eat McDonald's or Hardee's? Who cares? Let's just eat something. I don't, I don't want to be hungry. You know, but there are things that matter. What do we eat spiritually? But effort actually, excuse me, it does take effort to actually decide where you want to end up and then effort to decide to go that way through the way, through the way that God's provided. We can't afford to grow through this life in neutral like he suggested. There are consequences for that. And these guys, because they take his advice and they become neutral on, on what these guys are preaching about Jesus, they don't come to know Jesus. They don't make a stance. They ignore him. Uh, they actually beat his disciples. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. I'm just going to turn there real quick. Um, says um, this. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. If we are neutral concerning Jesus, not only will we not follow Jesus, but those that follow us will not follow Jesus. We'll be scattering people that respect us, that believe what we say is true. So we have to be careful concerning that. Let me ask you, are you the one who is with Jesus or against him? I'm not talking about for salvation. I'm talking about in your daily decisions you make. Are you gathering or are you scattering? Because there is no either, it's, it's either or. You're either gathering or you're scattering. There's no, well, I'm just kind of hanging out. Today's study gives us two responses to the truth. Number one, ignore it and kill the messenger. That's what the, that's what the, the, the Sadducees and the leaders were going to do. They were going to ignore Jesus. They were going to ignore the apostles. And then they were going to kill them because they didn't like what they had to say. Or number two, do what Gamaliel says. Hesitate to decide Wait and see how it plays out for others. 
But what I want to point out to you is when God shows you something, He's calling for obedience. And delayed obedience is what I like to say is delayed obedience is disobedience. If we delay our obedience to what God has shown us, it is disobedience. But I want to add a third response that today's passage didn't present. And it's one that the, perhaps the Sadducees didn't even consider. When God reveals truth to you, you can ignore it and kill the messenger, which we often like to do. Uh, whether it's our spouse that God's trying to use to chisel rough edges off of us, or whether it's uh, somebody that shared a hard truth with us that we had a blind spot to in our own walk. Or number two, we like to hesitate and say, I'll deal with that later. But number three, we can embrace it. We can take that hard truth that God's shown us and we can just take it for all it's worth, even though it hurts, even though it might cause us to have to make some changes, we can embrace it as a free gift that God's giving us. God's given us salvation. It is a hard thing to come to the reality that Jesus died for my sins. Every time I sing a song, every time I read something in Scripture, I have to realize that my sins, whether they were as bad as other people's sins or not, my sins were enough that if I was the only one on earth, Jesus would have had to die the same bloody death to pay for my righteousness, to pay for my salvation. A little white lie, death on the cross. That's what I deserve. That's what he took for me. You know, murder, same thing. We think, oh, well, that's obvious. But the minute sins, he died for those too. But the other thing I want to point out is that Jesus didn't just die so that we could be saved, but so that we could be daily sanctified. The truths that he taught his disciples are to cleanse us. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, it tells husbands, it says, wash your wives in the water of the word. In other words, it doesn't mean like, hey, you got to do this big ritual. Just read it to them. As you read the word to your wives, and I'm convicted about this because I don't do it, what you're doing is you're washing your wife in the water of the word. And that scripture in Ephesians 5 was to point to how Jesus, when we spend time with him and we read his word with him teaching us by his spirit, he's washing us because the church is the bride of Christ. We're his wife. And he's desiring not only to get us through this life, but to present us as we approach him in eternity as a spotless and a pure bride. Brides wear a white dress, not in all cultures, but as a symbol of purity. And we should desire as the church to be before the Lord and, and at that day when we see Him face to face to be pure, to be spotless, to be cleansed. And He desires to produce in us the fruits of the Spirit. But what happens is we, we know that and we hear the things, we come to Jesus in salvation but then he wants to continue to teach us things and sometimes he presents them in ways we're not ready for. Perhaps uh, like my wife this week, because of her imperfection and my imperfection, when she did something that aggravated me, God was giving me an opportunity to grow in grace, to get better at showing grace to people because she gives it to me all the time. But instead, what I did is I responded like a turd. I got aggravated. I showed no grace. I was impatient. I was not long-suffering. I was not loving. And later I had to repent because I had to call a buddy of mine and say, hey, pray for me because I'm being a turd right now and I don't feel like changing. And God was using my wife's, in, you know, her imperfection to give me an opportunity to grow. 
and it hurt because I didn't want to give it up. I didn't want to die. I wanted to die on that hill, and I will if I'm not careful. But what happened is I prayed for with my buddy, and as we sought the Lord's will, he changed my heart, and I got to go into the house, talk to my wife, and say, I'm sorry. God's using you to get these rough edges off of me. But what I want to point out is to apologize and to realize I was wrong not only to my wife, but I'd sinned against God. It hurt, and I didn't want to change, but God was willing to change me anyway. God's Word is truth, and it, and it does that. It, it saves us, and it cleanses us. But in order for Him to cleanse us, we must first be willing to receive the truth. So we have to pray for soft hearts, for humility. All of the ways that God teaches us when they take place will, depending on the truth that's being shared, they will hurt. Sometimes more than others. But when they do, don't respond like the group of religious leaders. Don't kill the messenger. You might be killing your wife. You might be killing your husband just by lashing back out at them. The, these guys, these religious leaders, they wanted to kill the messengers instead of just respond to the truth God was showing them. Instead, respond like the apostles do. The apostles in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, and we'll close. I'm not there. He said, it says, uh, they, remember at verse 40, it said, they agreed with him, agreed with Gamaliel, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. So here's the response of the apostles. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, and daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Notice that they rejoiced. They rejoiced that they had been given the opportunity to share the truth with people and be rejected. They're rejoic are they rejoicing because their circumstances are comfortable or easy? No, they're rejoicing because they're doing the will of God and they know this because they're remembering what Jesus had told them. Turn with me really quickly to John chapter 15. I always say really quickly, I'm like, rush there, because I'm taking long. You guys rush. John chapter 15, verse 18 through 20. He had taught them this. This is not one of those sections of scripture that we you know, knit onto a pillow and give to somebody. It's not one we, we like to paint in our kitchens or you know, put on the living room wall. But John chapter 15, verse 18 through 20. Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Remember when people are against you, maybe you share something with them because they need to know it. It's something that's going to draw them to the spot where they see that they need Jesus. Maybe they're not reading the Ten Commandments. Maybe they need us to share something with them and God gives us a word for them. They may not be all for it. They may not jump on the bandwagon and go, yeah, you're right, I do need to change. They might uh, beat you <laughs> and they might persecute you and tell you to shut up. But what the apostles respond by doing is they, they don't, you know, they don't whine about it. They don't cry. They rejoice because they've been given this opportunity to fulfill what Jesus told them that they would, that they would see in this world, persecution. 
We need to embrace the truth and let it do what God said it would do, set us free. Because if the Sadducees and the leaders would have responded and said, you know what, maybe this is something for me. Maybe God's trying to teach me something and I don't want it. Lord, change me. Help me to see why I need to know that I'm a sinner. Because Jesus didn't say that the truth would make us feel more oppressed. He said it would set us free. In John chapter 8, verse 31, he actually said, uh, Jesus said to these, the Jews who believed in him, If you abide, if you rest in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall actually make you free. What he was trying to tell these religious leaders was like, look, I'm just telling you, you don't have to do all the stuff you're doing. You don't have to earn it anymore. It was good news. But they were upset because they wanted to keep doing it, even though it wasn't what God had for them. So, the healthy Christian life can be summed up in this way. And it's all all to do with how we respond to God's word. Daily trusting in the word of God as if your life depended on it. That's what we're called to do. Trusting that even when God's word hurts us, it's for our good. And it might be for someone else's good as well. Because our life depends on it. It does. So uh, I hope that came through this morning. Basically, how do you respond to the truth that God's showing you? Do you kill the messenger? Do you hesitate and disobey? Or do you embrace it, no matter what it costs? The most bold Christians that I've ever met are the ones... And they're inspiring ones. They're the ones that aren't perfect. Uh, they're, not on, uh, they're not necessarily in Christian magazine. Uh, they're not even necessarily popular people. They're joy-filled people because every day they get before the Lord, they read His Word, and they say, Lord, show me one thing that I need to work on today. Lord, show me one thing that I'm falling short in today. And, and just give me the ability to trust in it. And as they do that, what happens is their life, one little step at a time, becomes more and more like Jesus. And then they're given boldness to preach that God can change your life. And I know that because He's changed mine. All I had to do was submit to that. So, Father, please help us not to be like the religious leaders. Help us not to be crusty, moldy Christians. But help us to have inspired new life every day as you show us one thing after another that we need to work on. Lord, we're works in progress. So Lord, uh, as you chip away the flesh and you uh, destroy the sinful behaviors in our lives, Lord, uh, may we allow you to do that. May we rejoice when you do that. And Lord, as you do that, Lord, give us joy, give us boldness, help us to uh, share the good news with others because we first received it, that you are God, you're alive and you're working and you desire to change us from glory to glory so that the world would know that Jesus saves, that he's changing lives, and Lord, uh, that you still want to reach more people before you return. Lord, help us to have a, uh, a boldness about us. Help us to be able to love people enough to tell the truth, that their works won't save them, that their good deeds won't outweigh their bad deeds, because you are holy and they just need Jesus to be their righteousness. Lord, help us to preach that as the good news. So, Father, um, be with us as we go out today, as we spend our week. Lord, uh, be with us in every circumstance. Help us to see how you're working, how you desire to make changes, and how you desire to impact others through us. And be with those that aren't able to be with us this morning. I know I didn't share this morning with the congregation, but be with Sherry Turner as she's uh, found out she has a, a cancerous tumor on her pancreas. 
Lord, uh, we don't know what the treatment's going to look like, but as I go and pray with her this morning, we're praying for healing. And we're praying that uh, through this tragedy, through this uh, trial, that your name would be glorified. Lord, that you'd uh, just bless her, that you'd heal her, and Lord, uh, more than anything, that you would encourage her in the spot she's at right now. But Lord, thank you that your resurrection is sufficient because even if things don't change, she's going to be with you after this life, just like the rest of us. So Lord, we just trust you for the results and we look forward to seeing how you're going to use this situation for our good as a body and for your glory. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Well, let's sing one more song.